been forgiven. I'm blameless in your sight. My history rewritten. My past embraced. My sin forgiven. I'm blameless in your sight. My history rewritten. Cause you delight in showing mercy. And mercy triumphs over judgment. I know that you delight in showing mercy. And mercy triumphs over judgment. Oh, love, great love. Fear cannot be found in you. And there will never be a day that you're uncertain of the ones you choose. Cause you delight in showing mercy. And mercy triumphs over judgment. I know that you delight in showing mercy. And mercy triumphs over judgment. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time that we get to gather, that we get to sit and rest and know that despite our past, you know our future. You know our present that is full of so much potential. Be with us as we hear your word. In your name we pray, amen. Good morning and happy Sabbath. I hope that was enough soundtrack for you back there. <laughs> for those that are here uh, in person and for those that are via Zoom, it's an honor to be here. I've only seen Advent Hope online. Um, and I don't know if, uh, I know the leaders remember, I think. Um, but I remember two years ago, I was able to preach at this church via Zoom from California. I am originally from California. I'm one of the pastors um, at Loma Linda Filipino Church um, as the young adult pastor. So it is a pleasure overall to be here in New York. I'm a little jet lagged, a little tired, but we're going to do this. Um, so bear with me. This text that I was given a while back, we're in a, as it was mentioned, um, we're at a, um, an event or there was an event yesterday from Advent Collegiate and we're gonna have a lot of college students here to join us next service. But, but the theme for this weekend is found in Ephesians 2, 19 through 22. And I'm gonna go ahead and read it for those of you that are online or here, if you feel to look at your Bibles or at your phones, phone apps. And it says, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. The theme 
uh, for this weekend as I was given was surrounded on the word rebuild. However, I believe that before rebuilding happens, there is some sort of destruction. Paul highlights that in the beginning of chapter two. He mentions that before the gospel became to be, there was sin and darkness in the midst. And so the question here, um, what happened in our lives in order to need to rebuild, in order to start again? There's often, when it comes to destruction, there's often grief that needs to be addressed. Whatever destruction that has happened or encountered in our lives, whether it was destruction that was done to us or destruction that we have done to ourselves. It is us that we have to deal with the aftermath, aftermath of that in order to rebuild, in order to be at that step to need to rebuild. Another, other items that could be that can be destructed in our lives could be our faith, certain relationships with people, with ourselves, or beyond. So I want you to reflect on that. What are you needing to rebuild right now in your life that was destructed or something happened in the past? What about as a church community? We see that in Paul's letters to the Ephesians, he doesn't highlight it as an individual. We can reflect as individuals, but he's reflecting here as a community, com the community as a whole. What has this church community gone through that there is a desire to rebuild? What is the desire to rebuild? The questions of what, how, and why rebuild. I think the beauty of rebuilding is not only that there is restoration in the conversation, but there is also a new awareness. And there is also an acknowledgement of, once was, of what once was and the bittersweet beauty of what now is and what could be. It's a, it takes a process to rebuild. And so now in this letter, the first three chapters are quite beautiful. They're quite bittersweet, but here it's different from the other letters that Paul wrote. He does address the issues that every church needs to handle. He addresses that in the further chapters. Yet here in Ephesians, Paul really cruises in celebrating the goodness of Jesus on the cross and what that means for humanity. He goes on this Jesus tangent, and I can only imagine the emotions he had while writing this. For we know that Paul, as he writes this letter, he's doing time in a Roman prison. What caused him to spend time in breaking the gospel down in three chapters? Well, since Paul spent around two to three years in Ephesus here, he had this intimate, probably, moment to go deep with this church. Despite the local hardships, such as idol worshiping and emperor worshiping going on in the midst. And so this key text that I just read, found in Ephesians at the end of chapter two, is part of that celebration. The old has come to pass and the new is not distant, but is now here. Paul acknowledges the darkness. He doesn't just go straight to the gospel, to, to the happiness. He addresses the darkness pretty much in the beginning of this chapter, that there was darkness, that there was sin in the midst because he also too has lived it. And he lingers for a bit in the beginning of the second chapter. That's important. We need to realize that when it comes to rebuilding, 
we need to pause beforehand to address the grief, the sadness that was, but also embrace the celebration that is. Here in this text, he highlights the dissonance and also embraces the harmony that is happening because of Jesus. Paul highlights the Spirit, bringing the Jews and the Gentiles together as one, all having access to God. I know for us, we hear all the time, but let's, let's break this down. This Jewish nation that had the inside scoop of the law and was exclusive was now being torn to have a universal access to God's nuclear family. Can you imagine the bittersweetness many felt? Could you imagine being a Jew listening to this letter? Perhaps there's grief, grief of losing privilege because there was a failure acknowledging that and now needing to share. Can you imagine the joy and the awkwardness the Gentiles must have felt? Gentiles being happy, belonging. We now, I can imagine the Gentiles believing, now believing in a God that is crucified and resurrected because through Christ, we have access. This is exciting. We today, hearing this letter, we belong. Can you imagine the sense of worth Gentiles were now feeling? And can you imagine the tension the awkward silence to those hearing this concept for the first time. Scholars indicate that Jews called Gentiles dogs, basically not even human, and that they had no knowledge of the one true God. This is what they thought, this is what they lived by, and perhaps this is, there's so much more than that. If a Jew married a Gentile, the, funeral, the family would hold a funeral to mourn the death, the metaphorical death of that son or daughter. They were now considered nothing. And now those people that were exiled and Gentiles were able to become human again in this new humanity. And they were once embraced at once embraced as a son or daughter of the living God. Think of the reflection, the grief, the loss the Jews had to have in order to reconcile with their fellow Gentiles. Yes, we hear these, all the, these words all the time, but there had to be some commotion with this situation. And I'm sure the Gentiles had some mixed feelings about it too. What was going to happen now with labels no longer existing? Instead, them being one in Christ. Again, for us, it's no big deal to hear, but man, back then, it was beyond radical. It was the sense of calling of a new humanity, a new community that can now come together with no walls dividing them to become a holy place in where God can now dwell that piece of the text, that here is the beauty and mystery of Christ and the gospel story being the foundation. This is the celebration that Paul was talking about in the first three chapters. And the cool thing about a temple being mentioned in this text 
is that it's an ever-growing one. To reach more, to embrace more people of diverse places and backgrounds now being added into the family. It's a temple that is infinite like the love of God. And this part, historically speaking, is crucial to reflect on because while Paul was writing this, the destruction of the temple of Jerusalem had not yet happened. And so it was mentally present to those listening, as well as the temple of Artemis for those that were worshiping other gods, now known as the seven wonders of the world. In this way, this was for the new believers and the old believers now embracing the Messiah to not rely on a man-made temple, but a spiritual one found in them as individuals and as a community. This was a family reunion. And so this question here, what does this new humanity look like? How are these people from different walks of life going to do life together? Well, Paul goes in deep after the third chapter, giving further instruction in the following chapters of the struggles they were now going to face together as a unit, the items that they were going to have to endure. But this is acknowledging that Jews and Gentiles were going to accept each other 100%. That was probably the first task before the further instruction given in the following chapters of the letter to the Ephesians. And I wonder, was it 100%? (laughs) Did they let the tension build up? Did it cause friction? We don't know. We just know what the card, the letter says. And if we know humanity because we know ourselves, we can barely agree on what to eat when it comes to two people. So just imagine hearing this and having to embrace the new, when so you are so used to the old. Paul later addresses spiritual warfare for, the common, for a common foe. They needed common ground to be together. They needed, in order to do life together, they needed to embrace one another, rebuild and restructure new relationships. They needed to embrace restoration as a community. They needed to embrace the foundation of Jesus first. That's why I think he focuses and he goes on this, on this Jesus gospel tangent. And now that we have affirmed, reaffirmed Christ in us and in our desire to renovate ourselves, hearing this passage, knowing the context, a bit of the context of this letter, in our desire to renovate ourselves, what does that look like today in the church. What does that look like today in the Adventist church? Hearing this, this, this gospel news and this tension perhaps unfold in the past, what does that look like today in church? How does that look like for young adults, college students, older, younger as a church? And I want to acknowledge that a lot of people stay in the darkness, a lot of people stay in the grief, A lot of people stay in the deconstruction. So it takes courage to rebuild. It takes courage to see the remains and start over. And going even further in another question, what does it look like in our lives 
individually, as well as a community to build, be built together where God can dwell in. I believe that when it comes to rebuilding, it's a holistic matter. It's communal, it's sacred, and it's a process. It can't just happen from zero to 100. There is a process that we need to talk about and that we need to embrace because when it comes to more people, there are more problems and more tension. And as a society, I don't know about you, but back in my society in California, we're in a constant state of change and estrangement, and it's scary, but true. And it's hard for people to navigate sometimes. As a society, it's hard to go through the hardships of feeling inferior, even as we try to rebuild. We live in a time where those that feel inferior are speaking, not even speaking, but they're screaming to be seen, to be listened to. We have people that have faced hurt and yearn for a sign of hope and people to trust. And the labels, the labels are there. We can say them. Homeless, immigrant, LGBTQ, conservative, liberal, progressive, fundamentalist, religious, atheist, and many more. Those are just a few. Even mentioning these labels, oh, the tension. Everybody wants to be treated fairly and be equal. It's hard. Humanity is hard. And I'm not here to sway people on any aspects on society and its labels, but what I can say is that we all have a right to forgive and be forgiven. We all want to be respected and we all want to be welcomed and we all want to be loved. We live in a society where we are constantly, constantly wanting respect. And wouldn't it be awesome, my church friends, my family, wouldn't it be awesome if not only respect in our community was going around, but also love and equality were in the mix? That's something to think about. That's something to ponder. Because a lot of relationships begin with dissonance. Yet what is the solid foundation in which, in which we can rebuild together? In a society that continues to embrace its walls of differences and wanting uniformity, I appeal to you to be a community that creates a culture of diversity and unity. And yet another question could be, are we willing to reconcile those we have hurt and with those that have hurt us to become one and to build up? Can you remember a time, if you have any, in which you've been forgiven, welcomed? Better yet, when you have dealt with group tension that has been resolved unanimously? We could probably remember the times with one hand on that question. It doesn't come as often as we want. There's this term called peopling. Peopling is hard in anywhere, in any case, and even unfortunately in the church. That's just a reality. So let this be a reminder that despite the division society creates, we have a Christ that is our foundation that unifies us. Whether you feel inferior, 
or believe you have more rights than the person next to you. And I'm sure, as we go back to this text, the Jews and Gentiles dealt with a lot of tension. But I believe that embracing this letter, reading this letter, hearing this letter, they acknowledged that they needed to make sure to have a solid foundation. They wanted to make sure, they needed to make sure to have that cornerstone to go to when doing life together. And so I know that the conference in the city of New York, I was able to look up some stuff, has been working tremendously when it came to helping the migrant and asylum-seeking community rebuild their lives. And that is a practical way of extending the community, of rebuilding this community. It's been on the news, um, even in California. So it's, it's, it's a topic that cannot be ignored. And so when it comes to labels, when it comes to assistance, when it comes to rebuilding, break down your own walls of division. I believe as a church we can be a community that moves beyond the walls of division and beyond the labels. I mentioned the, the asylum seekers because maybe none of us have experienced that. Um, I've never had to experience the loss of a home or displacement and have had to figure out how to restart my life from zero. They have their own personal experience of loss and destruction than our own. But we as a community, as a church community, can help them rebuild and show them that there is a God who brings people together in healing and in restoration. And we have a God that embraces the foreigner and brings them in no longer as strangers, but as family. I hope and I sense that there is a lot of forgiveness and reconciliation in the midst. We have the ability to help these people and to help others that need our assistance, to those that are continuously trying to rebuild life on their own. And just to end off, to be real, when we attend to others different than us, it may cause tension. Tension is not a bad word, it's just something that naturally happens when people are different. It'll be a process, and healing takes time. And it will take a lot of humility from each and every one of us, and also embracing forgiveness. But if the love of Christ is at the center, there's nothing that we cannot rebuild. There's gonna be a lot of beauty in becoming one. There's gonna be beauty in relationships, and even exploring on what that beauty could look like. So church, may we rebuild and dwell in the love of God as we rebuild. Let's pray. Our gracious Father, you know us. You know the situations we encounter. You know the situations that have caused us to deconstruct and grieve. But at the same time, through the letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesians, there is light, there is your gospel that breaks down the walls of division, that breaks down the walls of differences, God, that, uni that uni unite all of us. And that as humans, that is great, but at the same time, it's, it's not easy. 
May you help us rebuild together, despite the tension, despite the differences. May we come together as one to dwell in you. Thank you. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.